Welcome to episode 5 of the Hot Pulp Podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by Tarek Hafiz from Upper Aesthetic in Dubai. Today's podcast was recorded on IG Live, so the audio quality may be a little choppy in places, but please bear with us. Hi, Doc. How are hey. you? Good, good. Are you yourself? Yeah, not bad. We're, we're doing okay. Uh, I was just yeah. giving the guys a little sneak preview of the case uh, that we were going to have a little look at so to get them excited. So uh, I think it's going to be a good one. But how's things, yeah, uh, sure. how's things in the, the UAE? Yeah, it's, things are Well, uh, things are things are easing up a little bit. Let's see. Yeah, we're starting to get back to work, but mostly just emergencies for now. I'm thinking soon we're gonna start going back to, let's say, fifty percent capacity of what we're doing. But it's getting there. Mm. It's getting there. It's far better than other places. And how about how things the... over there? Um, no one's very sure lots of mixed messages so we're i think the best thing to do is to to stay home and then uh once there's an obvious resolution then go back to um a non-emergency work at the moment we're doing we're doing uh phone phone consults and kind of uh, antibiotics if required otherwise analgesia advice so that's kind of where we're at the moment um yeah and how how's the, yeah, the um How's the actual restrictions? Are you allowed to go out at the moment or just for work? Yeah, yeah. It's just a curfew from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. Mm. But they're allowing people to go outside. I mean, work-wise, it's 30% capacity in offices and retail and <clears throat> and different closed compartments. Even the malls are open now. Okay. But also can, just can, under yeah. specific regulations. Yeah, because the numbers are not that crazy high here. Yeah, I think over here we're the worst in certainly in Europe, uh, probably just lagging behind the states in the absolute worst response. So we're going to be in this lockdown a while. (laughs) I mean, you got to look at it, look at the demographic of of the UK or especially London and cities like New York and say Italy. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. In Dubai yeah. here, there's less, but less, less of a population than in London, let's say. Yeah. And also, people yeah, here that's... don't gather that much. It's all about transportation, so it makes sense. But yeah, yeah it's going to get better. The underground. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Just uh, we, we yeah. might be uh, set out over a while. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your kind of where you graduated from and then the, the work that you did to get to, you know, obviously working at now a very nice clinic in upper aesthetic. What was that journey like? Well, I graduated from Egypt. I graduated from Mr. International University. So I finished five years dentistry there. It's five years in Egypt. Yeah. And then from there, I worked for a few years and moved to New York. So I applied for the international programs at NYU. I did the comprehensive and the implants program, which is a two-year program, as well as stayed there for one more year as a fellow. They call it a fellow. It's kind of like an assistant uh, professor there. And then from there, that's where I learned a lot about implants and full mouth reconstruction cases. And then I also learned a lot about aesthetic dentistry, cosmetic dentistry, 
But of course, when you're in the academic environment, it's a little bit different than when you're in private practice. But it's good to have practice a few years before that so that when I'm there, mm -hmm. I know exactly what I want to get out of it, which I tell most people what to do. Everyone's like, oh, I just finished dentistry. Should I travel to study something? Should I work for a bit? I always tell them you got to work for a bit, at least two years. First of all, it gets you into the program that you want. It's that kind of experience that they're looking for, especially for postgrad programs. Um, yeah. And at the same time, when you get that sense of private practice, you can balance between academic and private practice. They're very, very different. A lot of people don't think that way, but it's very different. Academic takes way longer than usual. Yes, you're following the book and everything is perfect, which you should know, but it's, it's mm -hmm. not realistic in private practice. The patient is not going to wait months to get treatment or a year unless you're doing uh, yeah. orthodontics or you're doing some specific treatments like... Uh, or maxillofacial surgeries or stuff. But yeah, so once you get that sense, it's easier when you do those postgrad programs. So I did that. And then I went back to Egypt for a few months and I was just finishing some paperwork and I moved to Dubai here. And that was February, 2017. So it's three years now. So about three years. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Not bad. Quite, yeah. quite well when you started, you know, you just went for it straight away and then um, obviously, yeah. how's, how's the, the difference in practice in the States to Dubai? Or would you say it's quite similar? Uh, Dubai, the thing with Dubai here, there's, there's a lot of diversity. So you have people from around the world working here, of course. And when it comes to dentistry, you have the American School of Dentistry, and then they have European School of Dentistry. They're quite different. Um, I would say the American mm. is more of the aggressive, let's get it done now kind of uh, dental treatment, whether when you compare it to the European, it's more like a steady, let's say it's more academic, like that academic pace, yeah. if I put in the right words. But um, yeah, here you have a combination of both. So for example, our clinic where we all studied at NYU, even David, I mean, David is from Spain, but he was at NYU with me as well. So he got to pick up that American sense of dental treatment. The clinic right next to us, which is literally yeah. right next to us, um, they're European, so they have a different um, style of dentistry. Yeah, and of course, yeah. at APA, where I work, and with Michael APA, and the approach of dentistry that we do is also very, very different compared to the approach that I used to do in the US as well. Um, mm. So, no, it's you can't find a specific trend here. Yeah, there's a lot of cosmetic dental clinics here in centers, but they're all very different, very, very different. Yeah. So, I mean, if you yeah, compare my uh, approach to that issue to yours, it's different. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very early on in my career, so uh, <laughs> you're doing things that I'm, I'm not going to touch right now. Um, but I think it's interesting that NYU seems to have such a large kind of influx of foreign dentists because we had Sandra on a while back. Uh, I think she was there around the same time as you guys as well. Uh, Sandra Big Smile, she's working in London now, um, but hmm. there's been a lot of guys come through and then come back to, you know, wherever they, they were working before and, and set up. Uh, so it's very interesting to see that. Um, question from Dr. Shiv, do you prefer the prost side or oral surgery side of dentistry? Um, I do both. The good thing about yeah. when you're doing the prost side, you can actually see the reward of what you're doing. So when mm. I was at NYU, I did... When I did the implants program, we placed implants, we did periodontal surgeries like sinus lifts, grafting, 
connective tissue grafting, bone grafting, all the oral surgery stuff. And then with that, we got, we got to restore our own cases. So yeah, we got to see the reward of the patient actually going out with teeth. So that was, I think that was the thrill. That was the most thrilling part of it for me. Of course, the surgeries are amazing and all, and they're uh, exciting. But when you actually get to see the final result at the end, it, it's a different, it's a different ball game. So definitely, I, I, I preferred personally the prostate out of the surgical side. But a lot of my colleagues from that program as well, they didn't like the prostate. They just preferred to do surgeries than have someone else restore it, which I think it's better yeah. that, for me personally, it's better that either you are the same person that does both or you have someone in-house or someone that you trust really well that can work with you in that. Because there has to be some yeah. understanding between both. Yeah, you you need a good workflow between, you know, from the start to finish. You don't want some kind of choppy communication and then things go wrong. Uh, you want it like nice and well planned. So I, I think it makes sense to either have a good team or, or to have your own like really systematic way of doing it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's very important that you have proper communication in your clinic, whether it's with your surgeon or you, or with your ceramist, whether it's in your clinic or if you're outsourcing to someone. Yeah. Communication is key. And that's 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 the the main thing of what we have at at, at Apathetic, that we have everything in-house. So we don't refer. The only thing that we refer outside is the root canal treatment because we don't get that many of them. Yeah. But we, we refer it to someone that we trust that knows our work and we know their work very well. Yeah but we still communicate with them um, on a daily basis. Did you ever think about, yeah, did you ever think about staying in the States when, after you'd done your uh, fellowship, uh, fellowship and uni over there? Um, before doing, no, when I, when I, no, when I first started, when I moved to New York, my plan was to get into undergrad at the beginning because I wanted mm. to work there. But then I was trying to evaluate the benefits and the risks and, what I really wanted to do, what I wanted to learn at that time. And to go back to undergrad for me was not satisfactory, let's say. So I decided to go into the implants program because I saw more potential of learning stuff from it. And it was also a side of dentistry that for me was very exciting. I always liked implant dentistry. I read so mm -hmm. much about it before going there. And I was, when I saw that the program was there and how amazing it is, I wanted to do it more. And when I even saw that it, it was not just implants, it was perioprost and biomaterials as well. I was like, okay, that was it. That's exactly what I want. And so after that, I, when I decided to go into it, I, I knew at that time that I'm not going to stay in the US. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to spend two or three more years again doing undergrad. So at that moment, I decided I'm going to go to Dubai. Yeah. It's it, it's it's a very strange system that you have to do undergrad over there, even if you've done a master's program over there. Um, it never made sense to me, really, but uh, I suppose it's just the way things are. Um, uh, but that program is different. Because right. before that, I, I had someone ask you what program that I did there. And so yeah. at NYU, you have the PG programs and you have the international programs. The ones that I did were international programs. So... They basically, they're not, they're specialty programs, but they're not ones that give you the license to work in the US, nor do they give you a master's program, or a master's certificate. It's basically like a certificate of attendance or completion. So instead of saying a short-term um, 
program, it's a full-time program, a part-time versus full-time. This, these are full-time programs where you're there in the U.S. the whole time. Yeah. yeah, you go back every once in a while. So I was going back to work in Egypt as well and traveling there, but they're not your typical one-month, two-month program. It's a full year. So mm -hmm. it, they're easier in the sense of applying to it, um, but it's, it's a lot of work as well when you're there. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think you kind of want something which is pretty heavy, heavy, you know, heavy on with the work side of things because that's when you learn loads when you've got a lot of stuff to do uh, as opposed to maybe a program where you're a bit light and you have a lot of free time and you just go around and, you know, mess about a bit too much. But I think it's nice to have a program which is nice and intense because uh, I think that's when you really get down into really learning the good, you know, the good stuff and how to uh, get on top of things. Let's see. Hamad's asking about your football skills. <laughs> yeah, that too was not spoon fed. So yeah, that was, that was a years and years of practice at home, to be honest. Mm. So it wasn't easy, but no, I, I wasn't going to go pro. I'm not, I'm not that good. I have a lot of friends of mine in Egypt that they're, they're pro level. I'm oh, pro right. level. Yeah. I wish I was though. <laughs> so that's a different lifestyle completely. Uh, yeah. yeah. If, if you're looking to work in Dubai, um, there's a document from the Dubai Health Authority, which will go through everything that you need to do for that. So I think that's what you need to have a look at for, for that everything to be honest guys if, you, if you're asking about moving to a different country it's it's a simple google away you can find out everything you need to know better than me or Tarek or any of the other guests unless they're specifically in that area are going to know about it because a lot of us haven't really gone through that process um it's true shall we have a look at the case what was the name of the program quickly yeah of course uh, Oh, the before we move on the and the the NYU international programs. So if you go to NYU.edu, we're gonna find all the and just look for international programs. You're gonna find all the different specialties. And yeah. then they, as you said, they explain everything there. Awesome. Yeah. Let's. Uh, can you tell us about about this this guy who came in to see? I think it's a guy, right? Yeah, it's a guy. Yeah. So that was actually an interesting case. It's it's actually one of my most interesting ones that I have. Uh, so this guy came in a little bit before New Year's, last December. Yeah, last December, mid-December, I think. Mm. And he's a guy that was referred by his wife. Basically, his wife told him, you got to go to that clinic and do your teeth. So you got to look at someone from the beginning that didn't, wasn't looking for something. But now then he would, since he was pushed into it, he basically came in with no idea what could be done. He just knew that he needed to fix his teeth. The only thing that he was saying I'm not happy with is the overall color of my teeth. I feel like there are some gaps in between, even though you don't see them in the picture, but there is because there's a lot of cavities in between their teeth. And basically, like you can see there, he's complaining about how the tooth at the top there is behind the lower teeth and the lower teeth are a little bit in front of the upper teeth. And he just feels like something is off in his bite. Um, it's important to understand those things and to get to talk with the patient at the beginning, because when you get that idea of what are the expectations are or what are their needs or wants out of the their treatment you can build on that and over exceed what they're asking for 
Yeah, and it's very important to understand that expectation because if you don't and you just play by the rule of what most dentists do, I'm going to give them what I think is amazing. It doesn't work like that. It's not going to work out for the best of both parties. Um, we always think of what is the next dentist going to judge me for or I'm going to do this because I don't want to be judged by the dentist. It, it does No, that, that's not just the way that it works in, in, in private practice, especially when you're working on a very high level. So it, everything comes down yeah. to the patient, the patient, and the patient. You give them what you think is your idea of a smart design, but you got to work around what they want. And I'll explain exactly how we work in that sense. So this guy came in the middle of December. He wanted to finish his teeth. And not only that, he was asking to finish it before New Year's. So he basically, I think he came on the 14th or the 15th. So we had a window of two weeks. Put in mind as well, we also have the Christmas break. So we had to finish way before that. So it's like yeah. a 10 day case. So if you look at the case, you see that there are cross bites in the upper left with the lateral and the lower right canine. And mostly everything is in place. But when you take a look at the occlusal pictures and I'll show you later, or you're gonna show later, um, there's a key thing that you have to look in this case. And especially, especially in this case, but in most cases that you work with. And that is arch form. Once you have your arch form, that's exactly where your final result will be. So you have to look at that first and evaluate where you want it to be. And through that, you're gonna find where you need to put your teeth. Because when you take a look at a tooth like that, that's retruded, that lateral, you're gonna think, oh, I'm gonna crown it. What about yeah. root canaling it? What about moving over braces? You're talking about a guy that doesn't have time to finish his teeth in two weeks. You're gonna put him into months of orthodontic treatments. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, for me academically or as a first option is of course, of course, orthodontic movement and to move that teeth with braces or Invisalign or whatever, but that's what the patient wants. So we can't, we can't tell him that. So if you go to the next picture, the occlusal one. Uh, there we are. Yeah. So in here, you want to draw a line from the premolar on the left side all the way to the right side. Like I don't have it here, but if you take that picture and you draw a line, you're going to find that the result that you want is the result that we got with the finals there. That's your arch form. So with your yeah. arch form, when you have it built in the right position, you're automatically going to move the teeth in the position that you want. And with that, you also can understand how much you need to cut facially and how much you need to cut palately as well. So again, with this case, everyone's going to think, oh, that lateral, I need to cut it. I need to crown it. We didn't crown it. All we did was basically create a kind of a small margin on the label side. And I think if you go to the next picture, it'll show you the preps. Uh, I don't think we had the preps. Is this the preps here? Yeah, it's right here. Yeah, yeah. So that white line that you have there, it represents where the finish line is in terms of linguine. No, so we had to prep, a, oh. we had to prep uh, a little bit from yeah. the facial, of course, and ever so slightly from the palate just to create kind of a slope. So that if I put the porcelain, I can fit the porcelain over the tooth. And yeah. because the lowers were bringing them in a little bit, I'm able to add person on the lingual side and just have the right bite at the end. So that's very important to understand. For you as a dentist, you can achieve it because you're gonna be prepping, but your ceramist, which here is the one that I work with, Ricardo, has to also understand that kind of workflow. They have to know how to manage porcelain in that sense, how much porcelain needs to be added lingually or palatally or facially in order to 
establish the right bite and at the same time have a thickness that will be functional without cutting too much from the tooth. And because I know Ricardo's mm -hmm. work and he knows my work. First of all, I chose to work this case with him. At the same time, I don't need to over prep because I know if I give him something, he's going to deliver what I want. So that's part, that part yeah. of communication is very, very important. So already it's been 10 minutes talking into it and you understand that there's first communication with the patient and then in-house there's communication with the lab. So we're talking about three different aspects of a treatment. It's not just me and the patient. So it's very important to find a ceramics that you work with that understands this and yeah. will deliver to you. Of course, at the beginning, when you work with someone, it's not easy because they have to learn the way that you work. You have to learn the way that they work and it takes trial and error. Do it. Get a ceramics that you trust that someone recommended for you. Work on cases. If you have a complicated case, do it. Do it for free for the patient because it's free money for them and you're not getting any benefit financially, but you're going to get benefit in terms of learning your um, mm -hmm. experience curve or whatever the, the word is. So those are the things that you have, that people have to understand that they need to work on more and more and more. I got to tell you, we have a lot of cases that we work with patients that let's say they want to do 10 teeth, they do eight and we do two for free because I know it's going to be a better result for them. And also I know they cannot afford paying 10 teeth or they don't want to at the moment, but it's going to be a result that's going to make them happy and it's going to build trust. So when you do those mm -hmm. cases for those patients, you're, you're learning, your ceramics is learning, there's a lot of benefits and the patient is going to gain trust in you and then that patient is going to refer more and more and more to you. Yeah. Um, so you can start with prepping a crown, let's say, because it's always better to slightly over prep than to under prep because you don't want to bring the patient back in. Um, but with time, once you work more and more, you're going to realize that, you know what, I need to crown that tooth. I can just cut a little bit here, cut a little bit from there. I can save more tooth structure in that area. And then the ceramics, because he knows my work and I know that he can deliver for me, boom, he can do it like that. And then it's going to create the result that he wanted as minimal as possible. Do you work with guides when you were doing your preps or are you working freehand? Of course, at the beginning, I was working with guides. But now, because I kind of have a, an imagination, I can see where I want things to be. Um, I don't need to work with guides that much. But I still do, to be honest. I still yeah. do. Especially, actually, it's more with guides, with cases that I want to go as minimal as possible. If I want, yeah. I want to bring... So if I want to bring a tooth out, let's say, and I don't need to cut that much, I use the guide in order to understand how much, if there's anything, a small part that I need to, to trim, then I'll just have it there. Then we can do a kind of a prepless veneer. So yeah. the guide usage shifted a little bit, but definitely it, it's important to use it at first, just to understand how much you need to drill. And it's also a good way that your ceramics will get to know your work. Yeah, I, I think that that's really interesting. Obviously, I think the planning stage is probably the most interesting part of these cases. Um, so are you using, obviously, we're going to take a full series of photographs so you can have a little look when you're in the planning meetings. Uh, do you also take scans? Are you taking uh, 3D scans, you know, with a intraoral scanner or are you, um, how do you work with those kinds of things? Um, so we usually, we haven't been using digital that much recently. The New York office has been using it more because they have more of a flow mm. of patients coming in. Um, and digital just eases things up in terms of scanning and printing. And we, we got a 3D printer and a 3D scanner. 
we use them on models right now. We don't use them in the mouth. We like to yeah. go more of a the conventional impression technique. Um, yeah. It takes time to use the, when you go digital, it takes time for practice. It takes time to deliver the, take an impression. And by the time you can take the impression with a digital scanner or a 3D scanner, sorry, with a digital scanner, it, we, in our flow, we would have taken the impression already. Yeah. So right now is not the time for it. Is there space for it to happen in the future? That's for sure. But right now we're just comfortable taking impressions the conventional way. Yeah. Uh, somebody asking what you think about no prep veneers. Okay, so no non-prep veneers. Uh, I mean, I wish I could draw this for you because we have a lot of patients that ask about non-prep veneers as well. Mm. So non-prep veneers are awesome. They're an amazing way of creating the cosmetic or aesthetic result that you want. But you have to understand that non-prep veneers require a very, very skillful ceramist. And not only that, it needs a lot of experience from you as a dentist. Yeah. Because let's say you want to bring out that premolar and you do create a non-prep veneer and the ceramist gives something back to you and then you cement it in. But then there's a huge ledge by the gums and it's creating a lot of gum issues there. Now that's not a successful non-prep veneer. No. Sometimes it's better to create a slight, ever so slight chamfer margin and just give it to the ceramist that they can work with. You got to evaluate the bite as well. If you're giving canine guidance and you're doing a non-prep veneer on that uh, premolar again. What's happening with the buccal um, cusp? Is it interfering with the canine guidance or not? So a non-prep yeah. veneer is easier said than done, but it's definitely a very good solution. But it has yeah. its specific cases. So it needs more than just a check of, oh, the tooth is retruded and I need to protrude it out. There's so many aspects into it that you have to read on. And yeah, that just takes a little bit more of experience. Uh, Tarek's asking, will you not always have a junction with a non-prep veneer? Junction? What do you mean junction? I think he means the, will there not always be some form of a um, tooth to veneer kind of visible sort of area? You know, maybe towards the margin? Because you've got, if you have a oh. tight gum line or something along those lines, how are you managing that area? Oh, margin. Okay. So with that, that's the skill of the ceramist. And that's mm. your skill of how you bond the tooth and you're able to clean the composite margins from that uh, or whatever bonding um, cement that you use there. Yeah, he's saying ledge of some so sort. It, yeah, th that's what I was talking about exactly. When you have the non-prep veneer that looks awesome and then you bond it in and then you have that ledge that's just um, pinging on the gums or it's collecting food or whatever, you have to know exactly how to clean it very well. So if you have an on-prep veneer, ideally your ceramics will give you a very, very thin um, cervical area. Edge, edge of porcelain there. Yeah. Which, again, it takes a lot of ceramic skill and also takes skill from you to place it in without breaking it. Yeah. Because if you break it, if you break it, that's it, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So in most uh, cases, in most cases like that, you just got to polish it really, really well. You make sure you etch properly and then you bond properly and then you polish it really well. So you don't have that kind of a ledge. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think that makes sense because I think people have the same issue when they're trying to do a composite veneer as well. 
um, yeah, not managing that cervical region correctly. Um, sometimes having almost moisture leaking in, even if you're having a, a rubber dam, then then you get that area staining up, which I've seen with a couple of come back to me that have been done elsewhere where it looks fine towards the edge, you know, towards your incised ledge, and then it just looks a little bit less uh, neat down towards your cervical margins. So I think in cases like that, it's very, very important that, first of all, you polish the tooth very well so you remove any kind of stains on the surface. You got to etch the enamel really well because enamel is a little bit different than dentin. Mm. So you got to etch it really well and you got to bond really well. So a key thing is when you etch, after etching, you really want to rinse vigorously over the tooth. Yeah. Like just keep rinsing, rinsing, rinsing with water for a while. No, don't just just rinse and then try it just a lot. Um, and then when you apply the bond, just apply it really well and then let's see, insert it. But I, you got to polish it as well. Do you polish your preps? I polish my preps, yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it it's helps a, with the bonding. It, yeah, it's not like osteointegration where it actually just holds on to a rough surface. It has to be really smooth. Yeah. Uh, and on the lowest, we, I've got the lower picture up. So uh, for the, uh, this is what mm. you did for the guide uh, for your uh, planning here. Um, so yeah. pretty minimal again. Is this after you prepped it as well? The one on the right is after I prepped, yeah. Yeah. It's quite small. So that's the, that the same thing. Yeah, I man, wish if you can zoom in a little bit. Wait, let me see if I can show it here. I think I probably could. Yeah, I, I think maybe next time I'll chop these photographs in half and just do one at a time. But I've tried, I wanted to get them on the same picture. Um, yeah. Can you guys see that? I'm going to turn the comments off. Yeah, you can kind of see it. Hopefully, you guys hope we'd see that as well. I think that is uh, that's kind of better. I mean, I can see it very clearly here. Yeah. So I hope you guys can see it as well. So again, it's the same thing. You got to look at your arch form. So with the incisal tips of those teeth, I created the arch form that I want here. So according right. to them, then I, according to that arch form, then I can prep according to where I need the porcelain to be or where my ceramist and I, when we discussed the case, we decided that porcelain is going to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so of it course, makes sense porcelain will come facially. Like exactly. So, by the way, when you, if anyone's doing their own wax up and they're creating um, an upper and lower case and they're doing evaluating the bite, that's mainly where your wax will end. So, if I could get the wax up, it would be very similar to this. You're going to have wax at the front and then wax basically on the back there. So yeah. it's very similar to what we initially designed. So the initial design is, is basically your communication between you and your ceramist. Mm. Yeah, I think that, that makes it where you can see where you're taking away and then where it's going to then add on. So then you can reshape the tooth and obviously you're doing the top as well. So it just, add, you know, it will mesh up. Yeah. And okay, so even at the, at the lower here, they're not in contact with the upper, but mm. a lot of people will go in and just automatically prep for crowns. For everything, yeah. A big percentage of people would do it. So like it's just easier, it's 
it's not a hassle for my ceramics, it's not a hassle for me. And then you're gonna go into a risk of a root canal for four of these teeth. But when you know what you're doing, and again, it's not as easy as you're gonna to start tomorrow and do it, it will take time. You just gotta be patient with it. You just know and have faith that you can restore these teeth without doing a crown on each and every single tooth. Yeah, uh, and obviously with lower incisors, we've got a much higher incidence of uh, devitalization uh, once once we've kind of, yeah. And I've definitely, especially when you look. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the after as well. I get that. So you see, if I could put the preps and oh, if I could put the preps and the finals next to each other, it's the exact incisal edge or arch form, like I was telling you that I had at the beginning in mind. That was my mm -hmm. initial design. Yeah, you see, you, you can see how it works. And I'll just pop the top one as well so the guys can see that. Um, where are we? There, hopefully you can see that as well. So same thing done on the top. And then here's your before and after. So we can see just how far that patient has come in a very short time. So, yeah. So when you're able to work with uppers and lowers like that and you bring the lowers in, you have that space to push the uppers out. Now, in a case like this, a lot of people could easily tell you, you know what, I'm gonna open the bite a little bit. When mm -hmm. you open the bite at the back, just one millimeter, that responds to two to three millimeters in the front. So that also creates space for me. But in this case, when you evaluated, like say Bolton analysis, when you started in the cast, you can tell that you don't need to open a bite for him. In his case, we did 12 uppers and 12 lowers, but we didn't yeah. open the bite for him at all. It's just because he wanted to do everything and he had basically decay in most of his teeth, except the lower anteriors. It wasn't really decayed. But we need to do it for the bite. So it's kind of an yeah, aesthetic so functional of, result. Yeah, so you, you've kind yeah. of been, because he's not looking after things so brilliantly, uh, being able to go ahead and do that. Did, uh, what kind of longevity do you expect from something like that when there's a guy who's come in with a lot of decay? You'd be surprised. You'd really be surprised. So this guy, he does take care of his teeth. I think he had issues when he was younger because most of his caries or decays were kind of arrested, but they were there. Mm. So he wasn't a symptomatic patient. He came back of complaining of pain here or there. Um, and after that, he was maintaining things very well. Yeah. Really well, actually. Well, I mean, look at the, this, this picture that I have there is, huh? Probably he's, he's got something to lose now. <laughs> yeah, of course. You put a lot of uh, effort into it, whether it's uh, emotional or financial. But yeah, you also be surprised that a lot of people do their teeth and they just think that because they did their teeth, everything is fixed. They don't need to floss or brush or do anything anymore. Mm. But when you educate them well and they do understand what happened and what they went through and what they need to do, or if you put them in a proper regime, or schedule, like say every three months cleaning and a checkup, they're actually, they 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 maintain a better oral hygiene at home than you, you think. Yeah. Uh, oh, we've yeah. got uh, comments, we've got a question down there. Let me just pop it on, turn that now. Uh, let's see, i just tap that. So Reza was asking about occlusion okay, and so. guidance, root function, all these things. 
Okay, so I, even when I was at, at NYU and I was doing a lot of implant cases, like full implant cases, I always yeah. believed in canine guidance. Even if you're doing a full arch implant case, I know a lot of people are against it. They're like, oh, mutual function. Huh. I didn't see why you wouldn't give a canine guidance. I gave mutual function as well, but I just didn't see why canine guidance was not a, a feasible um, occlusal scheme. And I think it was... Who, who was his name? Um, Kois. I think Kois gave a lecture on canine guidance as well, that he would give yeah. canine guidance to his implant cases. So canine guidance or anterior guidance is basically, for people that are not fully aware of it, it's so simple. When you're moving your lower jaw forward, it was when you're talking or you're chewing or you're grinding at night, it's when you're... And, upper centrals and your lower teeth are the only teeth touching. And then everything else is disoccluded or disconnected. Mm. That is a message from your brain that says, that sends a message to your brain saying that, oh, I can't bite really hard because if I do, I'm gonna break my front teeth. And if everyone right now tries to do that with their front teeth and bite like that, they're gonna, yeah. they, they won't be able to because they're gonna be afraid that something's gonna chip. Canine guidance is the same thing with upper canines and lower canines. Now, some occlusal schemes don't have canine to canine because of the, the classes. But if you give a, an, an upper canine guidance, whether it's hitting a premolar or kind of a lateral, which is kind of risky with the lateral, but a premolar, it's still gonna give the same reaction. Mm. Um, that's basically what a canine guidance and anterior guidance is. Most of our cases or all of our cases, whenever we restore them, we give them anterior guidance and canine guidance. Yeah, it's very important. It, uh, yeah, it, it, makes, it makes sense. You're gonna have less, uh kind of wear and tear on posterior units then because you've discluded it in function. Um, I've got another question here as well from Alan. So we spoke about that briefly at the start, didn't we? The guy was very much down for a very quick result and didn't want anything long and protracted. So um, um, Ariane and I, we spoke about that a few times, Dental Sisters. We had a yes. few um, Instagram lives and the topics that we had was whether to go for ortho versus, versus restorative. And again, ortho is always the number one option to any case, unless there's a lot of decay and a lot of restorations in the mouth or a patient went through a lot of dentistry. It's always going to be the number one um, solution, let's say, if everything is healthy. Yeah. But the second thing they have to think about is what, is, what are the patient's demands? If the patient doesn't want to go through treatment for months and wants something faster, you got to give them the restorative option as well. So mm -hmm. most of our patients, we, even though we explain it to them, they always want to go for restorative because they already know the, the nature of our work and the nature of our patients and how we do things. So they want that fast result. And nowadays, every, everyone wants something fast. Yeah. That's the, that's so in this case, Invisalign would be um, ideal in terms of moving the teeth or in terms yeah. of cutting less, let's say, even though we did, it was a minimal preparation, but that patient at the end was gonna go through restorative work as well because he had a lot of decay, he had wear in his teeth, he didn't like the color. So what was the point of going through months of moving a tooth just to save a millimeter or two? I might yeah. as well just go in and, and, and restore it. And again, after you restore it, you're gonna have that risk of the tooth moving back because things do go back teeth tend to move again. So this case was ideal for restorative treatment. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree. When you've got a large number of carious lesions, that makes you have a different outlook on the case. And, the, you know, obviously the, the aesthetic demand as well um, means that actually, yeah, you do want to do pre-orthodontics usually. Um, even if that's a lingual system, incognito is a really interesting one. Very quick results with incognito compared to Invisalign, for, for example. Uh, but yeah. three months might be too much for this guy. And if you're putting something on that he's not going to comply with, you might end up in a worse situation than you started. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine going through all that and restoring a tooth with veneer and then it just moves back. Then you're going to have to restore it again. Mm. So it's annoying. And then so this question looks a bit longer. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it definitely is a little bit longer. So two things you have to think of. Those two central incisors are worn down a little bit. We create a little bit ever so slight length in order to overcome that um, um, crossbite and as well to follow the lower lip because that's part of the smile design. But a very important thing you have to look at is that the gums in between the teeth have not healed yet. That's basically a day or two days after we insert the veneers. So the gums are still kind of mm. um, apical or high up. They still need to heal there. And once the gums do heal in the right position, the teeth are going to look a little bit shorter. And also that picture yeah. is a bit zoomed in compared to the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, how, how long do you tend to find that it takes for your gingival healing and health to get back to the most optimal level after you've placed. Okay, not that, yeah, that's gonna take time. And I'm, I'm saying this out of personal experience. I, I, I got my teeth done. Dr. David did it for me. And it yeah. until now, there's still a little bit of ever so slight spaces in between teeth, but that depends on me and how much I floss. Like I floss once or twice a day. Um, it takes mm. time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort as well from the patient after that, but that's maintenance. If you don't do that after, then what's the point of doing your teeth? And if you get a knee surgery, yeah. you're not going to be expected to run the next day. But some patients have, after two months of treatment, I'd say they, they just feel fine. It's just a healing thing and it's mm. biology. So it takes a roughly, I tell patient, it could take two months and it could take up to six months and it could take even more than that. It just depends on how, the, how well they're maintaining it. And we've got another question from Zara. Oh, we can only see half of the question there. I'll read it out. What if the patient likes the mock-up but doesn't like the way they look intraorally? Do you, like, do, you do another mock-up and then do it again? So the way that we do mock-ups... Um, and if everything in the right position, so I, the teeth are not flared out and I can do a mock-up on the patient, we do it freehand. So I don't wait on a wax out from the lab yeah. or from whoever, I just do it in the patient's mouth so that they can just see it with a mirror instead of having something on a screen that's two-dimensional, let's say. Um, of course, if they're not happy with something, we can still adjust a little bit in the, in, while they're in the chair. And you get, they have to understand that this is kind of a slight simulation of what their smile could look like. Um, you're, yeah. Unless you cut their teeth, you're not going to be able to create the ideal smile that they want. 
So they have to understand that as well. Yeah, if I can do some adjustments that they think yeah, is going, oh, I feel like the teeth are too out. I want to bring them in. I could, but I don't. I don't. We of course I don't change the whole mock-up. And then uh, Sarah, I think you must have missed the little picture we put up about the preps. You can just about see there is some lingual prep on the two on the two two or the upper left uh, lateral. No, it wasn't thick. So the important thing of avoiding it being thick there is when you prep a little bit lingually and ever so slightly um, incisively and make it sh kind of shorter, you are able to create, you get porcelain from the fascia and porcelain from the lingual, so you can create a thin incisal edge. And you can see it in the picture there. So that's why we prep yeah. the lingual. So we don't create a very thick tooth. Yes, you can change the, also, the angle of the tooth. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the, exactly. To kind of create uh, more of a slope. Yeah. 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 Uh, another question from Zara. Thank you guys for the questions. Keep them coming in. I think this is really very important, this one. With any kind of bonded procedure, the bonding protocol that you're following is going to kind of dictate how long it lasts. Um, so what, what do you kind of, uh, what's your method at the moment? So the way that we, when we bond veneers, of course, after etching, we put gluma at first. So I don't remember which article it was, but just for the scientific fact of it, uh, glutaldehyde from gluma does strengthen the bond. And I think the article was yep. talking about inlays but it's also the same with uh, veneers because it's porcelain at the end. So we put gluma, we keep it there for a long time, for at least 45 seconds, and then you air it out really well. You dry it out basically. And then we rub the bond under the tooth. Uh, we don't use a rubber dam. We use an obturgate because it's just so annoying for the patient. And it's a technique that we've been doing in our clinic for more than 10 years and everything's working well. So. I know there's a lot of science of rubber dam and you're avoiding all these small, um, what's it called, leakage or, um, but our workflow allows us to avoid that where each dentist is working with two nurses that are helping. So you don't need to use rubber dam. So once you put the bond, you put a, you rub the bond onto the teeth. And again, you leave it there for 10 seconds and then you air dry it really well. So the most important thing is you want to see the tooth shining, but you don't want to see any kind of liquid bonding moving on the tooth. It's not going to overdry the tooth. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And then you just um, like cure it very well. We use, if the porcelain is, a, is less than two millimeters thick, we use uh, Luxaflow, which is water, mostly water-based. So it doesn't really change the color of the porcelain. So you really want to, when the ceramics yeah. works on the tooth, they use the stump and based on that, they mask if the stump is really dark or the tooth itself is really dark, they're able to mask it with porcelain. Now, when I cement something and when I try the porcelain in, we try it in with water. We don't try with try and paste or try and bond unless I want to brighten it up. But I try it in with yeah. water first and that gives me a real, um, it, it really shows me what is the effect I'm going to get at that. What is the final color of the porcelain? If I'm happy with it, and a lot of cases we show it to the patient and they're happy with it, we just bond it with Luxoflow because it doesn't change the color. If I need to up up a little bit, I use, uh, uh, I can't remember the brand today, unfortunately. Um, 
it's an open light and light plus if someone can remember it then you just write it there so yeah it does we can just jump it up like a, a shade um a shade or two yeah um yeah i think a really interesting case then where, where do you see your practice going in the long run um do you think you're going to stay in dubai or do you think you're going to change kind of the way you do things or add in some different type of treatment that you're going to be doing um we do everything like we do general dentistry right we do everything aside from ortho and endo um whether it's david or not we do the surgical part dr appa does only pros but we do surgical and pros mm. what i see for i don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now but at least my goal or our goal in the clinic in Dubai here is to be the aesthetic hub in the region. So we have LA, New York, and Dubai. So these are all hubs in different areas of the world. Yeah. Um, and we just want to be that aesthetic, main aesthetic, let's say leading center that's providing our kind of dental work for the whole area where it's the MENA region or we're jumping into Asia as well. So. So that's uh, that's the foreseeable future, let's say. Yeah. Do Do you do yeah. stuff like all on fours, uh, like in in your cases, or uh, is no. that more someone else's uh, job? No. For, fortunately, David and I were not big fans of it. Um, right. If anyone's planning to go to NYU, NYU is not a big fan of it at all. Uh, I always like to look at retrievability. If I'm going to put something in the patient's mouth, I want to be able to retrieve it. Um, mm. And all on four, if imagine putting an implant all the way up here to, to use zygoma, what am I going to retrieve it with? If something, God forbid, happens. But again, I don't have a lot of experience in it. Because, so maybe I'm, what I'm saying is not 100% true. But I'd yeah. rather go with grafting and finding whatever that can place implants and then restore it with that. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's been really interesting. Let's see if there's any last couple of uh, questions that were. Do you put canine guidance on your laminate? Somebody was somebody was asking before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we kind Always. of went through that already. Um, yeah. Implant systems. This is kind of one that comes up all the time. All systems work. Whatever you're comfortable with. My. Mm. The one that I prefer the most is Stroman. That's the one that I was working with the most in that NYU. But again, I'm comfortable using 3i or Nobel. Here in our clinic, we use Nobel just because we can get all the parts that we need from it um, as soon as possible. It's just easy, yeah. But if you can switch to Stroman, we wouldn't mind as well. But whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that's one of the things, you know, um, that every time we have somebody who's doing implants on they say look whatever works in your hands works in your hands it's it's down to kind of your skills uh with implant work not great implant systems out there if there's somebody using subpar materials but if it's all up to scratch then it's down to you um yeah do you use composite for your mock-ups and how do you bond your mock-ups intraorally um we don't bond them. So we just apply it onto the tooth and then just like cure it. If I'm doing a mock-up in terms I want to prep through, then I spot etch and then I just add a layer of bond. That's true yeah. because while I'm cutting into it, I don't want it to fall. 
But if I'm doing that initial mock-up for the patient just to see how things are gonna look like, we just automatically just dry the tooth a little bit, add it onto the tooth and then like cure it. And you're gonna be amazed that it actually holds in pretty well. But mm. also what the patient, before they leave, you can just snap it out. So I use composite actually. We use the uh, flow as well for it. Flow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, when I had mine, my composite veneers, I had, I had a gap closed between the, the laterals and the canines. I think we used, uh, I think we used temp material actually that time because we, we already pretty much knew what we were going to do. So he did, he did it with a, uh, a temp material just with the, the wax up just to see how the occlusion was going to be. Yeah. And that, that kind yeah. of moves whatever up. Then... Yeah. Whatever people are comfortable with, if they want to use a initial wax up at the beginning and they just do it. If you want to design things, uh, on a, the, um, digitally and then 3d printed that works as well for us, our technique is just, we do mock up in the patient mouth. Mm. So that's just, and for us, it's easier. Have you seen the little question after that? Have you seen the question after that? What clusal checks do you do with the temps on? Again, canine guidance and interior guidance. Yeah. So that's very important. So I gotta make sure all the posteriors are, there's equilibrium. I personally don't like to leave a lot of pressure on the front teeth, depending on the bite itself. I like to leave a little bit of space, but as long as I can have anterior guidance and canine guidance, we're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th I think that's been really interesting, man. Thanks for coming on. We're just about yeah, to get the, the one-minute warning. Um, hopefully, you guys go back to work uh, safely and pretty soon. Um, yeah, you too. If, any, if anybody isn't already following Tariq, he's doing a lot of aesthetic work. Uh, some really interesting cases that he's been putting out. So make sure you are kind of on top of uh, checking out what Tariq's up to. Um, do you do any teaching or anything along those lines? Anything you want to plug out at the end? Uh, not at the moment. Just just get through this phase first, and then we're gonna look into doing some teaching. Yeah. But yeah, uh, for sure, I, I would love to. That's yeah, that's great. I think next time I'm in uh, the UAE, I'll I'll uh, give you a call because we're there quite often with family, so uh, it'll be nice to yeah, catch of course. Uh, once we're allowed to back on yeah, flights and people people let you back into each other's countries and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been great having you on, man. Um, yeah, yeah thanks. I, I think uh, I think everyone's learned quite a lot. So hopefully, hopefully you guys have been watching, happy with everything that we've gone through, uh, and taken a few little tips tips and tricks away. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you guys soon. Uh, and see and see what's uh, what's next for you, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, man. No, it's been good fun. Uh, so hopefully we'll see you again. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys yeah, for joining us. Uh, if you're in the uh, comments and you've enjoyed what we've done today, take a little screenshot of uh, what we've got on screen and then just pop it on story so everyone knows that uh, you know they can follow Tarek and see see what he's up to. Um, so if you if you've enjoyed it then go ahead and do that. Uh thank you guys. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Ciao. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to support what I'm doing on a Hotbolt podcast and dentist of Insta and would also like some of the great benefits that I'm offering including a global referral network 
one-on-one Instagram growth training, a premium Dentist of Insta community where you can socialize with other dentists and students, and discounts from dental companies, including ProDent USA. Please have a look at the link in my bio and join the Patreon group. Hope you have a great day and make sure to come back for the next episode.